I don't know. I haven't heard. Well, I've been hearing it time and time again, it seems like. Well, from like... Oh, you hear it more than I do that. Wait, I'm sorry, Mike. The last part, what, did, what was the last part again? Oh, no. Have you heard, you know, have you been hearing about like mental health, how to take care of your mental health during this quarantine, no, during no, lockdown, no, how to prepare? No, no uh, it's all, right. it's all been, no, it's all been, it's all been, it's all been the headlines that catch people's attentions. And I read an article two nights ago on, they call it, it was titled the children of COVID and there was just an independent study that was done that was surveying. They started surveying at the beginning of the year in 2020 kids. Like they, they picked a certain demographic and then they had their, um, they had, um, uh, you know, their, you know, they, they got people to sign up for the study. So they had their controlled amount of people that were going to partake in the study. And they started surveying them from the start versus now. And like, obviously we're seeing that it just doesn't make sense. You know, it's, it's like these kids, well, these kids through this experience, through the survey was indicating like stuff we would expect. Like there, there's, there's this more of an anxiety, more separation, anxiety, more acting out, um, you know, more, uh, overall fear and it doesn't surprise me. Like, I think one of the unique opportunities that we've had is that we've been able to actually sit back and kind of watch it kind of unfold. So as, as, as I'm watching it, I'm just like, you know, you know, there's, 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 there's definitely something higher going on, but no one's talking about, um, mental health. No one's talking about, um, you know, no one's talk. It's all, and dude, I come back to this at the end of the day is that it's just this, there's a transition happening and it's like, you know, I say it to everyone all the time. Like when's the last time you remember borders being shut down? When's the last time you remember curfews being up nationwide? When's the last time you remember any of this? No one can say they do because they don't, because it's the first time it's ever happened in history. Not even on September 11th did we have like the Canadian border shut down. So like, I think that it's just like, for me, it's been frustrating to kind of see the propaganda that's come up that's blocking this greater overall thing that's happening in the background, which is transitioning. Like we talk about, like there's transitioning powers. Bretton Woods are calling for the new IMF agreement. And like that for me has been, it's been difficult. But what I've been trying to also remember ultimately is that like, I do feel like these technologies are being used as tools to like definitely manipulate us and people in a way for being almost more worried than we should be. Because if you go outside and you look around, and you talk to your neighbors, everyone's feeling pretty much the same way. But like we feel yeah, like we're probably. we feel like we're disconnected. But like I feel like the majority of people are feeling the same way, but they just don't know it because we're all siloed now and we're all like it's the devices that are like it's we're being controlled by a small group of people through devices that are able to control the masses. That's kind of what I feel like, at least. I don't know. Yeah, I think we are. We're being controlled because if you see everything on the news, every day you wake up, you see the same thing over and over. It's all these, uh, everything's feeding. Right now, it's all shut down. COVID cases are going up. Uh, you know, lockdown here, shutdown there, vaccine stuff here. Um, you don't hear a lot of politics as much as before because now Trump lost. So 
now it's like all right let's just now go all in on this COVID thing and just bombard everybody with fear and confusion and and pretty much that's where everybody's at because let me tell you what when the elections happen people were gathering waiting for the results and in groups all over this you know the united states we, you had people all over you you know washington square park times square you know places out in dc and you know when biden was being announced there was huge celebrations the next day and you didn't see anything about hey that's that's they stopped that lock that down you can't spread the disease but then for tomorrow thanksgiving they are saying that you can't have more than 10 people here in new jersey at home i can't have more than 10 people in my house for thanksgiving because they said that that's going to spread the disease hmm. meanwhile a couple weeks ago you allowed all of these festivals and huge parties you just allowed it because it fit your narrative that's hypocr hypocrisy then you know I'm not choosing sides here but I could see what people on the right are saying that is hypocritical, what the left is doing. That's why they don't believe the narrative of COVID. And that's why I don't think that, I don't think the right, you know, the Republicans, people that are Republicans or people that are that lean right, I don't think that they are ignoring the science because they're idiots. I think they're doing it because they see that the left and the media, which leans pre predominantly left and everything that's going on, social media leans left. We could all see it. I don't give a fuck what side you're on, but it's obvious. Um, they push it on you and you just don't care. You know, it's, it's like when your parents... Let's say, you know, see, you know, when there's like a girl, you know, they talk about oh, a girl in high school, her parents were so strict. They don't let her go out anywhere. And then that girl goes off to college and she becomes a wild person. Mm -hmm. She goes and does everything that's wrong, just in spite of what the parents said. That's what the Republican types of people are doing. They don't want to wear masks because they are being told, wear your mask, wear your mask, you know, this, this and that. And they're like, fuck that. Like, I see you guys always rioting, protesting for any little thing. I see you guys getting in assemblies of people and nobody says anything. But I can't go, you know, to the beach or to here or to there without a mask. So I see that. I wear my mask. I'm, you know, I'm not the type that doesn't wear my mask, but I'm not going to wear my mask everywhere I walk outside. You know, I'm just, to me, that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, dude, it's uh, pretty, it's pretty difficult because we have, all right, so what I'm comparing right now to mostly is, is, uh, you know, I feel like I had a unique opportunity to go and talk to these kids in a high school locally uh, about uh, the book, The Lord of the Flies. And this was like in January of last year, dude. It was right before everything began. And like, it's so incredible because the conversations we had in that class, the presentation I gave, we were trying to draw a connection between 
it was the question was are people inherently savage and um and 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 what what i was trying to draw a connection to in that is historically we've seen people do things that they may not want to do or they don't consciously know what they're doing but like as time goes on and as situations change they're they change as a person so like you know are people born savage no i don't believe so but our experiences evolve us and uh i tried to tie it very close to the 19 uh the world war ii period you know just talking about um the last major global conflict that we saw where like entire populations of people were just like totally just like under this kind of brain control um but what think of it what is savage anyway what's what does savage mean that's a good point think of that, right to me what it means to society right let's say back then especially western more of like europeans would think of savage as someone that's not european that are indigenous that don't have the education that they believe is correct that they live a certain type of way to that to them that's savage to us we still think that in the the same light but honestly mm. what is what's savage so what is for that? this so for this book's sake it was that they turned violent and then they ended up killing a kid on the island so like they the plane like the story goes so plane crash there's a plane that crashes over the i i don't know i don't know if you've read this mike and i didn't i actually listened to the spark all right all right i listened so like plane crashes over the island and then um there's a bunch of kids that get washed ashore on this island and it's like day one and there's a there's like 15 20 30 of them and then this one logical leader comes out and he starts like you know disseminating the information like okay we need to do this we need to prepare and it's all logical like stuff that at least that you would think if you landed maybe you would want to do and people listened the kids listened on day one but then as time went on and like you know they got hungrier they um their the situation turned worse people were starting to turn desperate um then there was a second leader a second person of the group that came up that was more irrationally thinking like kind of like the wild plans and stuff but this other leader this irrational leader um who wanted to um i don't i forget the exact details but essentially it was like it was like his way didn't work we're gonna go do it this way that's much different um and and he started getting people to actually join him in the group because the group think was starting to change. Like people were starting to like get out of their comfort zone, get out of their bubble. Like they were, you know, day one, you're fat and happy. Day 15, you're like a little hungry and you're starting to get a little worried. And they weren't thinking irrationally. And then uh, the second irrational leader ends up taking like a majority of the people and they stop following the rational leader who's trying to like the whole time get them to do shit just to get signaled and stuff. And um, the the irrational group ends up like killing because they went after this one kid in the group or something. And and then the end of the story, though, ends. I'm going to ruin it for everyone. Um, I'm going to ruin it for you, too, if you haven't. Read it. <laughs> but um, but um, but it ends where, um, you know, they get and they end up getting saved. And then like this boat washes ashore and they get saved and they all start crying and that's how the book ends is like they start crying when they realize everything they've done and like the question is is like were they bad people to start or did they just like change through experiences and become humans essentially and it's crazy dude because all those kind of books were all written 
around that like Orwell, like uh, Lord of the Fly. It's, these were all written around the last time we see that. And I'm like, I feel like I'm slowly, I feel like I'm slowly seeing that in a way right now. And that kind of bothers me. Well, the problem is that is that we we have certain judgments of what what evil is and what evil isn't. Mm. You know, what is it? You know, it's is it measurable? Does, is everyone evil? That's why I am more of the yin and yang type of person. I believe that you need to have both. You need to have both to survive, right? You need to understand both the bad and the good. Mm. If you only if you're only good, you're not gonna survive. There's no, I'm sorry, there's no such person that I believe that it's 100% just good and has no ounce of bad in them and be able to survive in a world that is so, like you said, savage. And, and, and even, you know, I even think, you know, babies are born savage. You know why? I believe there's savagery in everyone if there needs to be. Look, what happened in the Lord of the Flies that made people become, like you said, savage was the lack of the lack of resources mm. when you're when you have abundance there's no need to be savage if your belly's full right if you're you know you're warm clothed sheltered you know you have um a strong circle a good community there's no need to be savage right you have everything but start taking away take away the shelter take away the food the water the warmth, the clothing, take that away and leave, leave that, you know, be, be without for a while. Then you'll go back to your roots. You'll become savage. You yeah. act savage. I like, dude, I feel like I don't like, I feel like one thing that I like about you and the other like vets that I know and stuff is that like, it's so unique to have the experience about the experience of seeing just how like, other human beings can become when they become human beings like just when when it's when it's me versus you life versus death my family versus your family like yeah you have groups and cliques that stay together but like when you take the human down to the human what it, what what the human becomes like they totally change through the experience and i like um you know i feel like that's that's something in my life that's happened that's been unique that like I feel like a lot of people, a lot of people in this country don't get it. I feel like what we experience in this country, especially right now, it's not happening in other countries. And maybe that's because those people in other countries are just more aware to how reality is. But like, you know, this book, like you think about it, an American that's only grown up in America since like this, what since World War Two really has only really had this one happy bubble of like whatever. And then like, I feel like America's full of abundance. Yeah. I don't care. Even if you're look, even if you're homeless, even if you're homeless, you have abundance. I've heard, I've, I look, I've known super rich people. I've talked to super rich people. I'm friends with some that are pretty rich. And then I've known very poor people talking about dirt poor, talking about recently arrived in America poor. And the ones that come recently to America, those, I, I love the conversations with them because they tell me, man, like you could be poor, like you guys say here. And that's way, that's more rich than what it, what I had back home. When I was in Iraq, you, when you were in Afghanistan, how many people worked that were from Bangladesh that worked in the, the kitchens and the, and the, the facts and all the that. Barber, the I, barber shop and stuff. 
Yep. Look, when I was in Iraq in 2008, I was over there for 15 months. It gave me a lot of time to network, and I love networking. I love having meeting people, knowing people. I don't care who you are. You're a good person. You, we vibrate. We're, we're friends. Yep. I used to, you know, I used to talk to people from Pakistan, Bangladesh, mm-hmm. India, um, Sri Lanka, and they would tell me the way it was back home. Mm-hmm. And then they would talk about how, you know, how they see, you know, how it is with us. And then I would, I would talk and I would ask questions and then I would think about back home. And then I would start to think, I was like, man, we complained so much that we don't have anything. Even in the, even when we were in Iraq, we still had so much more mm-hmm. than the same people that we were, you know, yeah. amongst in the country of Iraq that didn't have anything. Us as soldiers that we complained, damn, you know, we only have water to drink. And I mean, maybe, look, when I was in Basra in 2008, which was the second biggest city in the South, of Iraq, we took over a British um, mm-hmm. base, uh, FOB, and it had an airport, and the British needed to pull out, so we took over. We didn't have an American defect. We had a British defect, and the British defect, the food was actually, slight, in my opinion, was a little better in some type of aspects, but they didn't have sodas, juices, mm. They only had some Gatorade that had no flavor of raw. They have that thick bacon there. Is that that British? Yes. Like, yes. They had that ham. The beans. Bacon. It was, and then the beans for breakfast and stuff like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Right. Exactly. And I was with Australians, so I feel like that's what that's what they had. And yeah. and I would be and you know the, the I would talk to the people from Bangladesh and and they would tell me how they lived. And you know, pretty much how what little they used to have. And I was like, Jesus, like in America, if you, you can live in the South Bronx, Compton, Detroit, and live harsh, you know, in a either in a shelter in, a, in the streets. But let me tell you what, you have a high probability of f- filling your belly. It's hard. I'm not gonna say it's not, but compared to those countries. They couldn't find. There was nothing. People had nothing, and that shows you that you know in America we have abundance. So we look at savagery more, I guess, um, strongly. We look at it more strongly because you know that's why we criticize Africa. Well, I don't, but you know what I mean. People, yeah, yeah, yeah. the way they live or the way they do and. In, in Latin America and in Southeast Asia or in the Middle East, like, well, you know, they don't have anything over there. Mm. And when they start to have something, somebody comes and tries to take it, or America comes and tries to take it, or China, like they're doing in Africa. Like right now, Africa has so many resources. They have the resources to be the richest continent in the world. Each nation and even their tribes should be able to have more than enough but because they continue to be, to be pillaged and abused look how they live yeah there's they you know and people call them savage they're not savage why because they they can't have a vegan diet and they have to kill and eat 
the the food raw sometimes or this or that. It's all about perception, mm. and I look at it as I was told: there's no such thing as heat or cold. There's no such thing as hot or cold. It's just how much energy is in something. That's、mm. all it is. You take out the energy, it gets cooler. I've been learning that. More energy. I've been I've been learning that with the breathing exercises. In the cold. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. It's producing energy from producing energy from within. There's not. It's not necessarily cold out there. Like that's like that's why Wim Hof's like a crazy motherfucker because he's just like. It's not necessarily like the body isn't. The bodies of the people that are like practicing this stuff, they're taking longer to get something like frostbite, hyperthermia, all that shit, and it's like. And and but we know this from even like the the the, the yogis and everyone does meditation like. They can control and regulate body temperature just by like breathing and meditating, and then using like、uh, you know controlling the autonomic nervous system.、Um, They're the most intelligent they, type of people. They understand their bodies, and they even say, dude, that like the people that have, as we've become more like colonialized, and as we've gone away from nature and the natural body and and the cold and the elements, we have become these animals that are just. You know, most of the inflammatory diseases that they say exist today are specifically because it's an imbalance between the parasympathetic and the、uh, parasympathetic. The, the the you have two nervous systems essentially. Yeah. One for like the the I need to fight the lion situation, and then one, yeah, and then and then one for the calming down kind of side. And they say, and it's there's like an imbalance that happens, and bringing it balance back to balance is the way to fight a lot of the anti-inflammatory disorders. So I just well, that's why veterans struggle so much because exactly the was PTSD.、Mm -hmm. Your your um fight or flight is so elevated. So is is it's elevated to a point. That it's not used to, and then it gets used to, right? Let's say you're over there, you're、yeah. patrolling. Yeah, your adrenaline gets high. It's it, it becomes high, but you don't notice it because you already got used to it. And then when you face certain situations, it goes higher, and then that becomes normal. And you and it's like a car's engine. It's it's and it, it's like. A car going at 140 miles per hour on the autobahn. Imagine you're driving 150 miles per hour every day for a year on the autobahn, and no problem. But you're driving, it's no problem. You become used to it. You become used to it, and then you go back to America and you have to drive 55 miles per hour. Wouldn't wouldn't you, wouldn't you feel weird Dude, driving? I I feel like you just painted the picture of my life over the last. You know, it's true. That's that's what my that's how I feel about myself. I never drew a、mind. connection though to that to like the actual combining the two. What I know now to the nervous system though, like I never like I haven't up until you just said that thought about the fact that like the one side of the nervous system that's for the fight or flight, the adrenal glands, the stress hormones, is more active consistently than. The other side, which is the calming, the the blood pressure reduction, all that shit, and and it's it's because of the deployment. And because like I've always known that obviously, my like you know the situational awareness, you're always on that peaking level no matter what, even if you're just in the barracks and stuff, or you're you're back after patrol or whatever.、Um, 
but I guess I've never actually looked at that from what I know now from the nervous system and the imbalance that happens. Like, yeah, you, bro, if you're look, when you're doing something for more than three months, mm -hmm. if you start waking up at five in the morning for three months straight, you're going to automatically wake up at five in the morning because yeah. you're already accustomed your body. That's what they usually say. Yeah, you know, about three months, your body gets used to, you know, if you start working out at five in the morning for three, about three months, you, after those three months, you're golden, right? Yep. Well, imagine if you're, you're overseas and you're in Iraq or Afghanistan or any war-torn country and, or a cop, right? It could be here. It could be a cop or just, you know, or you could even yeah. be a gang. True, true. Whatever it is that keeps that high to then just be normal as the average person around you, it's really hard because now you're, you overreact about everything because your body is used to that level. So that's something that it's hard for us to try to fix. With me, it's been an issue because – I've been I've been in many situations, even out you know outside of the military. You know, I was in a cruise ship accident. And talk about <laughs> savagery, right? You know, you were talking about My how people become savages. Yeah, Bro, yeah, yeah. What really, you know, because when when you're overseas, you you learn about people, right? Because you're in war and you see how you can't trust people because you don't know, like you don't know if this, um, let's say, an Iraqi. Sometimes you'll meet Iraqis and you don't know if they could be they're well-intentioned or not. And you're always doubting. You're always being like, is this the guy that's just going to start popping shots at us? You know, is this this interpreter? Is this guy doing this? There's all these things, right? Yeah. And you see how people live and, and you see how people look at you. Everything is suspicious, everything. Mm -hmm. And when somebody's extra nice to you, you're I'm, – I'm usually like, I don't trust this guy. Mm -hmm. And now – get out of war and then go into a normal world of abundance right so like myself i went to a cruise ship a luxury cruise ship with abundance and you would you don't you wouldn't think that anything crazy would happen aside right from what actually happened now something does happen so like the cruise ship right crashes and there's chaos. There's no leadership. It turns into like the Lord of the Flies, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody says abandon ship. Everybody lied saying that all the leaders said that nothing was going on, right? So, right. So 2012, January 13th, 2012, coast of Concordia ship off the coast of Giglio in Italy. Ship hits the side of an island slices all of the the three hulls well there's four on the ship but slices three fills the compartments with water i'm eating dinner and we feel a shake and the ship shakes and then it shakes more and then i remember i say wow must be um you know rough waters is what i said not when there was guests next to us you know eating at this restaurant at the restaurant called um what's the name of i think it was mina something like that i feel like people uh, feel like i i can picture myself in that setting right now like because i've been on yeah, so like eating exactly. right so imagine you're in front of me like right now yeah. you're in front of me right and the people yeah. next to, uh, to your right there's about 
two families because we're sitting at this long table. Now I'm over here and there's more people. There's people from Spain next to me, a family from Spain, and there was some Italians. Everybody, the majority of the people were from Europe. It was very little Americans there. So um, then I said, oh man, it must be rough, rough waters. And that was with, actually next to me was a couple, a newlywed couple from Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. They were actually from Worcester, Massachusetts, which was funny because I lived there for about a year and um, became friends with them on the ship and used to hang out, you know, in different ports. So this happens, right? And then when I say that, the ship feels like it crashes. It feels literally like another boat just hit us, like another ship crashed mm-hmm. into us. It felt like if you're driving in a car and you start to slow down and, and you stop and a car just comes and hits you and that so, shake. So was there was there like jagged shakes into it or was it like a boom? Like no, a, it, bro, it was... It was like you're grinding, like you're grinding into that or what? Like, no, bro, I'm telling you, it was like this. It was movies, the, sh- the ship moved and then it moved a little more and then it moved real. And then you could feel like all the dishes and stuff, all the plates moving and then boom, like a crash, like a, like somebody came and hit us. Wow. And I was like, yo, I'm like, oh my God, we hit a boat. We hit a ship because it was... Bro, this was the biggest cruise ship in the world. And the way it felt, it felt like if I was driving my car and somebody hit me. Yeah. So I'm thinking, damn, for a, a, a ship to, to hit like that, I did not think about land because the path that we were supposed to go on, there was no land. I, yeah. I Bro, I study maps. I love maps. Yeah, Even yeah. in the military, maps was everything to me. I love maps. Yeah. Since I was little, I used to study maps. Total map nerd. So you knew the route. <laughs> I knew the freaking route. I yeah. knew the route, and the uh, yeah, the island was close to the route, but it was not part of our path. And there's no icebergs out there. Exactly, right? there's no icebergs. <laughs> and there was no reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the only thing I could think of is that it was another sh- like a ship mm-hmm. or something like that. And and then when that happens, right, the whole ship shakes hard. That huge crash. And then it starts to like, then it starts to rock, but everything's moving. Everyone's yelling it be, and the lights start to flicker and turn off. It becomes total chaos. And then it just, it, it stays silent. And then you hear, uh, like you hear noises of metal and uh, like, mm, yeah. and everyone's in this panic. And I'm like, I'm like, fuck this. Gotta go upstairs and get yeah. the light back. Yeah. Everybody else was like, "Oh no, it's fine. We're fine." Everybody on the on the radio was like, "Oh, everything's so uh, fine. It was just the generator um blew the generator. out." Oh my fuck no. no <laughs> yeah. I've been near the loudest generators in the fucking world. That was no generator. Oh, like, get the fuck out of here. What type yeah. what? We're talking about uh, a, a generator like Chernobyl? They move the boat. <laughs> yeah, is, is we have nuclear generators in here? No. All right, does something happen? Or so what? Fucking ran. While everybody was in denial, bro, everybody was in denial. The people next to me, I was like, you have to go. And they were like, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Nothing's wrong. Uh, that whole incident, I analyze it over and over again. I analyze the, I remember the faces of the people that I spoke with mm-hmm. in that situation, how they reacted. And it just shows to me that humans 
technically when it like humans are domesticated so much that it's hard for them to survive situations because they've been in the shelter mm -hmm. they've been you know people of abundance yeah i'm talking to you that you know we look at the demographics of the ship mm -hmm. you know they're all western european people majority are and of well of well means yeah. they had you know good means to you know this ship was an expensive ship and they had to have good means to be on it. So you had that class of people on there, probably living a great life, maybe. I'm not sure their personal situations, but I'm sure that they had abundance in their life. So I start to see people in denial, mm -hmm. people scared. They couldn't, they didn't want to move. Mm -hmm. They were sheep waiting for instruction. Mm -hmm. Me, I was on the go. Yeah. I was on the go. I was yeah. running, looking for my room. I went right to the room. I got my IDs. Mm -hmm. I got the fucking life vest. I got a fucking uh, my my jacket slash coat. Was like it's it's a, like an overcoat. It's like yep. a pea coat. Yep. yep. That you know. Yep. Because uh, I knew I was yep. you know it was gonna be cold. And then I ran upstairs to the top to look at. To the outside, but it was nighttime and I couldn't see anything. And let me there, tell you what: was there, was there like, did you know where to go for like a, a station or anything? Was there any of that pre? No. Oh, okay. I did. I did know. I okay. So check this out. I knew what muster duty station I needed to go to mm -hmm. because I still had my emergency card. I see. So you looked at your card and you just knew. You knew exactly. You pre-game. You like war gamed it almost pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. And the thing is, I was supposed to do the muster. Um, I guess in the beginning of each cruise, you're supposed to go through that. But this company, Costa, super negligent on everything. I think they made it a law. That was an international law after that happened. Dude, when I met you, when I met you, it was a week after I saw the documentary on it. I watched the documentary on it because I was going to my first cruise. And I was like, oh, oh Costa Concordia. And then I sh we showed up at that summer class. And then, like, you know, I was like, who's been on a cruise? I have. Oh, I'm going on my first one. Mine sunk. Like, what the fuck? And, and then I remember them saying that, that that was like there was now. And then I've taken cruises since then. And now it's like mandatory where you need to do. They need to do the mustard calls just so everyone yeah, knows. Well, Not that it. But here's the thing, though. Like, Maybe it'll help, but like what you're saying, it sounds like it's just like it's like the Titanic. It's like humans are just going to be humans, kind of thing, right? Yeah, humans are going to be humans, and at the end of the day, humans were humans. And yeah. when you have look, Costa, this is how it works. The company Costa only cares about money, mm -hmm. and when you care about money as a corporation, and you don't care about anything else about safety and all that, then you do many things that might become unethical. Seems like that was what they were doing. Yeah. There was, they were supposed to do the, the training, the mustard stuff when you get on the ship. That's their policy. They're supposed to. Everybody's supposed to. Mm -hmm. But I got on late because mm -hmm. they didn't even know I was on the manifest. So I, had, I got, yeah, bro, it was, I wasn't supposed to be on that ship. Honestly, bro, the, I, because I'm a hardhead, when I bought the ticket, I was, look, I was planning to go on the ship for, I wanted to go on the ship for over a year. Mm -hmm. Once I got out of the military and um, I finished my my um, automotive technology program thing that I was in, um, I was like, all right, first vacation. 
going on this Medicaid. had all the money i was like so i was i went to go buy the tickets and sold out out of barcelona and i was like what the fuck i was like i gotta go so i i checked the day before it actually stops in marseille france mm. so i was like fuck it i'm gonna buy because i already bought the plane tickets even before i bought the plane tickets before i bought the ship tickets which was a mistake <laughs> but I was like, okay, I'll land. That's a nice ass area if you were gonna stay though. Yeah, it doesn't fucking matter, right? But um, yeah, cause fucking south of France, and so um, I fucking I so I I was like, fuck it, I'll take the ship from Marseille, and um, I'll stay in Barcelona for a couple days until I could go and get to Marseille, and I'll buy the plane tickets to fly to Marseille. So bought the plane tickets first to Barcelona. And I already had, and then I got the tickets for the ship, and then I bought the tickets from the, the flight from Barcelona to Marseille, and then um, went and did it. Right, went to Barcelona, had a great time, stayed there a couple of days, loved it. Flew into Marseille, when I got there, I read that they're supposed to have representatives at the airport waiting for you, right, to direct you onto a bus, yeah, to take you to the airport. Oh yeah, bro, they didn't have anything. And I asked around, and this is a look. The Marseille airport is a regional type of airport. It's yeah. like the one in Hartford, Connecticut. So French speaking, no English, like you know. Yeah, no English is all French speaking. Well, figure it out. Like, you're yeah, you're a sol you're a soldier at that time, like yeah, you know. Yeah, so I'm so I I I was taking French in college, so okay. I was prepared to learn to um, to try to do simple stuff. Yep, and. You know, everyone's like, no, that they, they're not here. So I took a cab and I went to the port because I asked and where do you, they usually, what's the port? Do they mm -hmm. usually get out of the port? And they're like, yeah, the port's, this is the name of the port. Right? And so I took the cab driver and the cab driver knew Spanish. So I would speak to him in Spanish because he had a ex-Dominican girlfriend. Uh -huh. So he learned <laughs> Spanish with her. Was yeah. he a French guy? Yeah, the French guy. French, 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 French guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His Dominican girlfriend was from New York and he knew Spanish pretty yeah. well. So yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, we'll check at the port. And so we drove all the way to the port, which was like half an hour from the airport. Yeah. That shit cost me an arm and a leg. Yeah. Got to the fucking port and the ship's not there. I'm like, what the fuck? No one tell me that the ship left because that's a lot of money I would have lost. Yeah. So. I get there and I see like a representation of Costa and representatives and I talk to them and they're like, oh, that the ship is actually in the town of Tulu, which is like yeah. 50 minutes out Yeah, it doesn't come and doesn't get out from them. I was like, well, nobody fucking told me this. <sighs> nobody went to pick me up like and they were looking at the manifest like you're not on the manifest. I was like, well, I have the proof right here. Yeah. So they got they they had a the last ship, the last bus was coming. And then they put me on that bus and I went to Tolu and then got their beautiful seaside fucking port city, man. Gorgeous. It, oh man, it was beautiful. And then this big ass ship. And I was like, great. Got to the ship and they were like, um, confused. I was like, uh, yeah, I'm supposed to be on this ship. And they're like, oh, we don't know. Bro, they, they brought me on. They didn't check my bags for security. I could have brought guns and shit. They never checked. You never they, got those back. Yeah, keep going, no, keep, they going take my, keep going. No, they take my passport. They take your passports in Europe on their ships. So they oh, take their passport. Oh, wow. Yeah. And keep it. 
which it becomes an issue later on. So um, I go and, and there's and usually cruise ships they take your luggage and they bring it to your room to make it all easy. Yep. Bro, this ship I'm telling you was disorganized. So off the bat, I knew there was an issue with the company. I know this. I was like, yo, this company is a shit show. Yeah. It's like flying like the world. It's like flying Spirit Airlines. It yeah, felt. that's a good. That's a really good. That's a really good uh, analogy. Yeah, I'm like, what the yeah. fuck? Yeah, like this is supposed to be an uh, this big deal of a ship, yeah. and how they're managing shit. I was, I was like, you know, it's Europe. These people won't go. For, you know, it's Italy, bro. You know how Italians yeah. are. You Italian. Yeah. Over there is like the Buena Easy, Vida. You know, like, hey, you know, yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it brings his own bags up. You know, we got the room yeah. over there. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Yo, that's the attitude. And, um, okay, get on the ship. You go, we got the first day, you know, go all over the Caribbean, Sicily, Sardinia, Mallorca. Barcelona again, you know, you got all these cities and Rome, then I go to Rome and all that. And then after Rome, when I leave Rome, get on the ship, that's when everything happened. Mm. And now fast forward the crash. I'm in, I'm on top of the ship and I'm looking around to see what the fuck we hit or what hit us. And I don't mm. see anything. It's pitch black. Yeah. So I still know what the fuck's going on. Cause I don't see a ship. Yep. I don't see an Island. Yep. And what the hell's going on? Now the documentary that you saw yep. showed that when it sliced it, all the water came in and it turned off the, mo the, the generators and the mm -hmm. ship lost power and it started to go adrift and then it started to go off into the ocean, into the sea. Yep. It started to go away. Yep. And it was going more towards, you know, further into the Mediterranean. So you couldn't see the island. So I was perplexed and I was like, there's something wrong. So I went to the muster, the muster station. And I and I get there. There's like it's only like two, three guys. There's one guy. He's German. He's a young German guy, tall, you know, big German dude, mad cool. You guys look at each other like, are we thinking the yeah, same like, kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, we're like, yep, something's wrong. And we're like, yep. It's like we're staying right here. Yeah. And then, bro, the the boat starts. The boat's going like this. The ship. Yeah. Wow. It's moving like this, right? Like if you like if you make a paper like boat. And yep. you put it in a lake, you know, go like that. Yep. Oh, this is a ship the size of a skyscraper in a way. It's like a tall building. Imagine a tall building just shaking. You'd probably be like, yo, that motherfucker's going to tip over. Mm -hmm. That's one of my men. I was like, yo, this ship's going to tip over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Too, much, too much weight. Yeah. Know, the way it's moving. Yeah, yeah. was going through my mind. Yeah. And now, somehow, the ship starts to tilt. And it starts to tilt towards um, starboard. I'm on port side. So it starts to tilt, bro. And I'm like, what the fuck? Slowly. And then it's like people start to come. And they're like, say, at first it said, everybody go into your room, stay in your rooms. And then they were like, um, people were like, fuck that. <laughs> now everyone's like, something's wrong because the ship's tilting. And everybody starts to come into the fucking yeah. lifeboats. Now it's fucking full. Yeah. I'm telling you, like... It's like a stadium. It's full. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everyone's pushing each other. Yeah. Everyone's shaking. Everyone's anxious. Everyone's looking at each other with the eyes like this. Yeah. Some people are just like looking down. I'm just like I'm like yo, we got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And then, you know, everyone's like, you know, how can we get on the lifeboat? We can't. It's not like you could just jump on the lifeboat. 
because you got gates there. It's like it's the lifeboat. It's the size of a fucking boat. It's yeah. huge. Yeah. yeah. Was it enclosed or was it open air yeah. kind of thing? Like, They're slightly enclosed. So yeah, it was yeah. slightly enclosed. as a shell and all of that. So finally, they say abandoned ship. And it wasn't the captain that said it. It's the abandoned ship and then the, the employees. Not all the employees were there. Mm. But some of them, and they start to open and everybody starts to rush in. People that weren't even, they're supposed to be in that, that's, you know, yeah. everyone's supposed to go to their stations. Bro, that was, everyone was a free-for-all. Yeah. When they opened the gates, you saw, you saw grandma-looking women pushing little girls out of the way, like three-year-old girls mm. pushing them. Like, get out of my way. I'm getting yeah. into that. Yeah, bro. yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, what the fuck? I was the first one there. I was the last one in it. Mm. And I was in total like, what the fuck? Yeah. And I was, and me and the German and my ex and all that, we started to like, we started to push people like and push the kids inside. Yeah. yeah. It's like, what the fuck is going on? Bro, total savagery. That's savagery. Yeah. Take away the security, that, that safety net. Mm-hmm. People become fucking savage. And that showed to me that people have evil in them. Everybody has an evil, and I don't say like demonic. I'm, mm-hmm. I mean like everybody has that darkness, that animal. The animal will come out. You, yeah. you put a dog in the corner, he's gonna fucking bite. Yeah. Did you, Mike? Did you find like at that time? Because like I feel like you kind of fell in this category of people that had awareness, and like when you were looking around, could you see the difference between like the leaders and the followers or like people, was there like civilians that were like trying to step up and actually kind of direct people kind of thing? Or was it like, it was, what, what was it? What like, what was that like with that? Cause I'm thinking of the Titanic almost, you know, like literally there was people that were trying to calm some people down. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, you know, I remember in my section, like, you know, like, my ex and I, we fucking, we were, you know, leading people. Mm. We were like making sure that we were like in the army. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we were making sure that everyone, but once those life things opened, it was a free for all. And then, you know, the German guy and I, the German mm. guy was big. So yeah. he was able to like really like, hey, push back mm. and pick the kids up, make sure mm. it goes to the parents because the parents were losing their kids, man. There was, bro, there was hundreds mm-hmm. of people around, mm-hmm. hundreds, mm-hmm. and there was only like five fucking lifeboats. Yeah, yeah. So, everyone, and then, you know, and I get on, now once I'm on, and the guy of the, 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 the employee, he doesn't understand how to even bring the thing down. Mm. So now I have to help him to try to bring this thing down. So... And then we start to come down and bro, the thing went free fall <laughs> because it, think of it, right? The ship's like this. This is a ship, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and then you got right here, the lifeboats hanging on side, right? But now when the ship's like this, lifeboats are like this still. So when you come down, you know, the lifeboats, when they, when, when they're supposed to get launched, it will go like, you know, the machine goes like that and yeah. it'll drop it. But now the ship's like this, so when the machine goes like that, you don't have much. You're, you know, so when we were coming Scrape, down, scraping on the side, pretty much. Yes. So it almost when it came, it free fall like a couple feet. Mm-hmm. 
know, like I think like five feet, it free falled and then it hit the side and then it almost flipped. Like they almost went like that. Yeah. And we would have like people some people would have fell yeah, off yeah, of the yeah, light. Yeah. Yep. And then the one next the one next to us, that motherfucker really like fell hard and mm -hmm. crashed and people got injured. Like we could hear the people crying and yeah. screaming, yeah. like in pain. Yeah. But in ours, we got stuck and then we had to use the stuff that, you know, they're like um there were these poles. I don't know what these poles were for, but mm -hmm. that's what we used to give leverage and continue to come down. Mm -hmm. And then once we fucking made it, bro, and people were fucking so panicked. I started to sing songs. I was singing fucking songs on the lifeboat to calm the people down mm -hmm. because I was, you know, what else? Yeah. You know, you got to find a, a way what, to distract. What did you sing? I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember yeah. what I saw. I, I have, I did record. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, I recorded just, when but, I so just like you found, so like, but you found that music was a way to soothe everyone. Did they, yeah, actually, I found did, they part did, did they participate? Like, did they actively participate or like, was it, what was that like? I felt like some were like, you know, yeah. trying to participate. Yeah. And, you know, different languages too, dude. Are they listening to your English? Yeah, like, hey, I, I, I don't know what he's saying. Like, I don't remember what the fuck I'm saying, bro. Yeah. That's a good yeah. question. I, mean, I got to figure out if I have a video with that. Mm. I, I recorded, and I recorded one, you know, once so, we actually were water. So when you were coming down though on the side, so you said like you guys use these poles. Well, like, how many people was involved with that process of actually like trying to like. Three people. So, like, explain. Can Me you explain? So you were essentially shimming yourself down the side of this like cruise ship, pretty much, right? Yeah, we were shimming, and then once we had good leverage, the the employee that you know knew a little bit, he was able to then you know work the machine and bring it down, turn yeah. on the engine, and yeah. get the fuck out of it before yeah. one of the other like would fall on us. Yeah, and then Dude, we were in the water, and then from there we were left to our own devices, like pretty much. It's insane, man, because, like, I feel like the only thing that I've seen comparatively to, or, no, well, no, I've never seen anything like that, but, like, you watch the movie Titanic. How much would you say the movie Titanic actually, like, played in a reality in that situation? Look, there, uh, the Titanic is only, it's similar, okay, 50%, 60% is very alike. I'm thinking the lifeboat. I'm thinking the lifeboat scene specifically right now, where oh, the, yeah. guy, the guy ends up shooting himself on the side of the boat and stuff because everyone's yes. just rushing in. Like exactly. So it, the Titanic, it's way worse because mm -hmm. the Titanic was in the fucking Arctic. You know, they didn't have any land close to them. Mm -hmm. Technology was lacking compared to us now, and um, they sunk it. They were in the middle of the water. Yeah, us. What saved us was that the ship was um, brought back by the wind onto the shore of the island. So, like on that documentary, mm -hmm. I yep. think it was the, the Marine Institute of Technology in mm -hmm. Massachusetts or Rhode Island, one of those. They 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 did all of the mapping and they showed what happened, and the wind did bring it back. I saw, now, it and, and then it pushed it back on that reef right there, right. Exactly. So if that reason that wouldn't have happened, then it would have been probably exactly like yeah. fucking Titanic, uh, you know, 100% because we would have been in the middle of the ocean yeah. or the, the, the sea. Yeah. But in this part, it was almost like it. And the part of the people fighting to get 
on the lifeboats, the people panicking, the uh, the lifeboats getting fucked up, flipping, people jumping into the ocean, to the water, trying to swim. Some people drowned, you know. But it was thirty some people that died, not thousands. Like, mm-hmm. or you know, I don't remember how many people died on the Titanic, but you know, it could have been like that. Mm-hmm. But very similar, very yeah. similar situations. I'm like the taking- ship, you know, Titanic broke. Yeah. This ship didn't break. It just yeah. I'm thinking because. primarily of the lifeboat scenes, dude, because there's the scene that I'm remembering from the deck and the chaos, like you're saying. But there's also a scene where, just like you guys, the lifeboat was shimmying down the side of the boat, and the guys were literally with oars. They were trying to like shimmy it off the side. Like I, yeah, I feel it was like, like that's, that. That's like the picture that that's like the picture I'm painting right now. And yeah, uh, it, it was like that. In the Casa Concordia, I even remember that documentary. Like they showed at night, like there was still people like walking down ladders off the side of the boat, pretty much, right? Like going. Yeah, they were still stuck. Because you guys were close enough to the shore, where like people eventually started kind of swimming over there or whatever. Like I can't imagine. Yeah, the ones that were on starboard. Yeah. Because remember, right? You have the ones on starboard, so on the ship. Yep. I'm over here in port side. Up yep. at, you know, I'm looking at here. It's super high. Yeah. These people. They're the fucking water is touching their feet. Yeah. Because it's so tilted, right? So they a lot of people were like, oh shit, I see the I see it. I could get it to there. Yeah. Fuck this. And they started to jump. Yeah. But it, it was January. Yeah. It was fucking cold. Yeah. At night. Yeah. In the fucking sea. This is not off the this is not off the coast slightly. Yeah. This is literally like a hundred miles off of mainland Italy. Right, right next to this little island yeah. out there. Well, those waters were cold. Those are, people got hypothermia. I remember. Yeah. So you guys got to the island. I remember in the documentary. They were saying like there it was like like you're saying like it was a little island. Like people, it's not like a rescue yeah, crew was right. waiting there, right? Like did, did the locals kind of rally together a little bit and try to like help you guys? Yeah, out? What happened from there? Yeah, a lot of people took shelter in the local um um church. The church, you know, opened and. I don't remember them even giving us food. Like, mm. I don't. They didn't give us food. I some locals helped, maybe some individuals, but yeah. Yeah. I don't remember the church actually doing, you know, trying to feed people. And I don't know if they actually had anything to do that because you know that just happened. But yeah. at least we had shelter yeah. until something was figured out. And um, I, I, you know, I had money, so I went to. They had a little local, local market that was, they they opened like little, like little shop, and I bought some chips. That that was my dinner. Um, and then they started to divide people up depending on how they got on the ship. You know, like I came through France, so they put me with the French group. They made a mistake. They were supposed to put me with the Americans that to go back to Rome. Mm-hmm. Because the embassy was going to help yep. every all the yep. Americans that were on there. Yeah, well, I was supposed to be with them, but they 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 fucked it up. They sent me with the French. Yeah, so they sent me into um, the town of Grosseto. Town of yeah, the town of Grosseto, and got to the port. They you know put they checked us like um, the Italian like. Red Cross and all of that was there. They checked us, whatever the fuck. And then they put us on a bus to go to Marseille. And we had, so we went on this fucking bus ride. Where you came from. Yeah, exactly where I came from. And the thing is, like, 
we're uh, we're you know we're on the western coast of Italy. Oh that shit's like twenty hours. Yeah, and we're on a bus, and we have stops. Oh. So we had to do stops. So we stopped in Monaco. We stopped in Nice, which Nice and Monaco is not too far from each other. And um, we had to do those stops, and which was great because you know, fun. It's beautiful. You know, you get to look. You know, look around and see, you know see. So you know, I enjoy. I try to enjoy the most I could out of the trip. You know, I try to take Europe in. I love Europe. Europe is one of my favorite places in the world. Yeah. Um. So I was just taking it all in, and then you know we get to Marseille, and then there you know you had the French media, you had the French. Um. Oh, when we crossed into France, when we went into the border, the French um, Red Cross came and they checked us again oh, okay they yep. gave me meds because i hurt my leg mm-hmm. and um i became friends with the with the the paramedic the french paramedic um he was asking me about like new york and all of that really cool you know got us some food he took us to you know to get you because know, i was like i'm hungry yeah and then went back to the bus once we were good to go this was by um this is a nice and then we kept this was after like monaco bro the french cared more about their people than the Italians cared about theirs. Mm. Like so when they were, we got, they were, we got back, they were pretty much waiting with oh, open arms kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. The, the French was like, they were like, what, like making sure everything, like, we're, are you guys good? Like everything just, they were, and then they gave us like, um, they did like a convoy that, like, you know, when you get back from Iraq or Afghanistan, you, they put you on the buses, you got the, the military, um, you got the police. Bring you in. Yep. That's how. That's what they did with yep. us. With a motorcade. And yeah. then we got to, after Nice and all of that, we got to Marseille, and then got to the hotel. We got the media. We got all of this craziness outside of. They put us in this hotel, this beautiful brand new hotel in Marseille, and the media is trying to like interview me, but I speak a little French. I told them I'm American, you know, I ne parle français and all this shit and. You know, I didn't really. Anyway, I didn't want to talk. With, I was tired, yeah. Yeah. so I went went to sleep. The next day, chaos, bro. The media was all over the damn hotel. They just wanted to interview everybody they could, and they were like, "It was crazy, bro. It was yeah. like a movie." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, I um, I didn't have any counsel. There was nobody there to represent me. I was just an American lost within the French. Yeah. You know, the French had their, you know, the, the government, their personnel helping them out. I didn't have anybody. So um, I got on the phone, I called the consulate in Marseille and told them and they and this gentleman from the one of the, the I think he's a, one of the high administrators. He's a, he's a resident from the, the consulate office. I forgot what was his position. I think yeah. I have his card still. I don't so remember they, they, the name. They, spread, they spread out these consulate people to pretty much take care of Americans if they need to overseas. Like They're like, we got yeah, some, so, yeah, representative almost, yeah. Like, I think. Yeah, Yeah. so the, yeah, you got the American consulate, and mm-hmm. the, a, lot, a lot comes out of there. The embassy is in Paris. So um, I reached out, and this gentleman, I think his, I think his name was Philip, he came and he met. He met with me. He, you know, I told him everything that what happened. Told him, you know, I was fucking broke. 
Um, he's I, then he was like, well, you know, he's gonna he's gonna talk. He's gonna speak for me because you went and spoke for me with the company, with the people there from the cruise ship that were there. And we he asked him for money. He's like, you know, we gotta give him money. You know, he don't got, you know, right. he has no money. <laughs> Cause it's because it's, oh, it's oh, in the okay. Mediterranean, I bro. I have no luggage. I have no oh only clothes. Is what I have on, and my passport. They have my passport on that ship. Yeah, it was all everybody's yeah. passports. So how the fuck am I supposed to get back to America? And then my plane, my flight, my flight originally was out of Barcelona. So I had to. I'm supposed to get to Barcelona, like, because I was supposed to be in um, Europe for about three weeks. I was already there for a little over a week and I was already a little over a week in Europe. So I was supposed to, after the, the cruise, I was supposed to go to Ibiza, which I already had all that paid. Hey. And I was supposed to go back to Barcelona and do a couple more things on the, on the Western coast and then fly back. All of that when you know, was um, done with, I couldn't do that, but I needed to get back home and I didn't have, you know, I was like, hey, you know, I'm not gonna. I told him I don't have, I don't have, I don't have money. I told him I don't have money. I told, well, he, you know, he told them that I didn't have any money. Yeah. So that they had to, because they were like, well, change your flight to see if they didn't want to pay for anything. The company yeah, didn't yeah. want to pay for nothing. Yeah, yeah. So um, the consulate, he was like, you have to fucking get him on a flight. So they got me a flight from Marseille back to, um. Boston flight because I was uh I was living in New Hampshire at the time. Yep. So Logan, Boston Logan Airport was the closest. It was only like forty minutes from home. Yep. And um, so the flight was actually supposed to be in two days. So I still had time to like I went and um the 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 company only gave me fifth I think it was thirty five euro. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, yeah. 35 euro to Did buy you get a baguette, a little, a, a nice, a nice French yeah, roll of bread, fucking, huh? Yeah, a baguette and some fucking brie. That's all you could get for that. Yeah. Um, but, the wine, the bottles uh, of wine seem cheap. We got it for like, what, 8 euro or whatever, the cheapest one, 7 oh, euro. Bad. Don't even mention that to me. So when I flew out, when, okay, so let's fast forward a little bit to that. Yeah. I bought a couple bottles of wine in the airport in Marseille. Yeah cheap right like you said they're cheap and when i got to amsterdam they confiscated it all <laughs> yo motherfuckers confiscated oh my it. god dude you can't win Bro, in amsterdam if you fly in from a regional airport around europe especially marseille since marseille there's a lot of north africans and a lot of um yeah muslims and uh a lot of uh people from a lot of uh middle easterners are there as well so they have double security going coming back to america and the guy at the airport in amsterdam was like don't blame us blame your government this is yeah. your government regulation uh, i was like what the fuck, bro yes but i was able to bring, bring back some foie gras that i had yeah, yeah, yeah. Pan, i got I, I but all those wines confiscated yeah yeah so um but going back to france before that the consulate guy, he took us all, you know, all over Marseille, went to the cathedral. I went shopping. I bought a bunch of clothes because I already had, I had money. I still had my wallet and stuff. Yeah, yeah. 
that's and I just bought a bunch of French clothes. Like, man, I was when I got back home, I was always decked out in all of this clothes. Yeah, I bought. yeah, yeah. And um, and then fucking got back home, and it was like, you know, everybody was asking me when I got back the same thing. Everyone was like, wants to know. I got on the radio in Boston, spoke about the situation, and um. Was it P- was it not PLJ? I think that's New York. The what the rock? One of those stations in Boston. Yeah, nice yeah. smoke. Yeah, man. And then Yeah. And so the, that the, was crazy. the takeaway it sounds like is that like, you know, like kind of like we're seeing right now in society is that people once they're taken out of their comfort zones, they do they are so? Let me ask you this: I'm like, are people inherently yeah. savage? Yes. When when push comes to shove and everything is lost, uh, all your security, your your needs, or the feeling of it is disappearing, and probably not has disappeared, but the threat of it, the threat of it disappearing, the threat of you not being able to protect it, the threat of you not being able to protect it by the way that you naturally are in, in society that you have to actually get out of that zone, that comfort zone and become more aggressive or yeah, you become something that, you know, not everybody. Now, if you are a person that has gone through so many traumas like that, tra- uh, in Western society, mm-hmm. we look at it as traumas mm-hmm. and other societies, you look at it as that's life, right? You talk to somebody in Africa yep. in Mogadishu, they're gonna tell you, yeah, hey, that shit happens, yeah. right? Yep. Because they're living in constant freaking conflict. People, some people in Medellin talk. People that lived in Medellin in the seventies and eighties. Mm-hmm. Dang shit, bro. That's yeah. fucking. That's life. Hey, yeah. you're, you're here. You're talking to me. You're good. Yeah. Now, if you talk to one of those family members that never been through anything, they're fucking shook. They're shook. You know, and I'm in the. I was in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. I'm in the middle. Mm-hmm. It, it shakes you up because it shows you that anything could happen even outside of war. You know what I didn't like about that situation? At least in Iraq, I had a gun to protect me if something happened. But there, I didn't have anything to protect myself. Yeah, That was pretty much in the hands of of a captain that mm-hmm. wasn't even on the ship as he left. I think, you know, he, I, think he's lo- I think he's locked up now. Yeah, house arrest. Oh, that motherfuckers, dude. Yeah, that's okay. Well, yeah, I mean, glad we got this down too. So, ultimate goal. I think. I think we got to end on that note right there, dude. I think that. Yeah, man. Because I think it ties totally into the conversation that we were having. I, I want to end it on that. I'm glad we got it on there. Um, but like the fact is, is that like what we're seeing right now, some people can't understand. Like they, they're like it's the first time they've ever been uncomfortable in their life, and they're like they're not thinking very rationally right now. And like yeah, people are shook. And people are no matter and no matter if you're on a cruise ship that's sinking, or you're back home, right? And you're you, it's just this comfort zone. It's it's getting shook. And um, yeah, and, uh, it feels like society right now is, in my opinion, it feels like in the beginning of be of the shaking of the mm-hmm. ship and the hit. Mm-hmm. That's why I feel I feel like we still have a lot to go. Like the whole event of what we're living right now. Mm-hmm. It's just the beginning and it sounds fucking bleak, but this doesn't get fixed like that. What we're living 
is a symptom of something else mm. and we still have to get to that and it's gonna get it's gonna get worse you know so, we have an economy economies on a little string is hanging just hanging there waiting to just fall right we don't know what the hell is gonna happen once that and then we have also tensions clash right now is this brewing we have all this stuff going on it's gonna get to that point i feel and what a takeaway from this is you know do not be like those cowards that i spoke about that you know would push kids out of the way to save mm -hmm. themselves like that you know everybody the, the more people that actually gets courage because what what defines a person from being civilized and a savage is courage if you're courage and you're able to be disciplined and be strong you could be a leader and you don't have to do the savagery that we actually talk about you could prevent that even more if you have others that can follow you mm -hmm. now if you have more people in your community and there's a system like that then that community can move forward while everything around them is falling mm -hmm. and the more communities actually work that way then the easier it will be to get over the other side of this but if not it's going to be just like the cruise ship a huge wreck so on a last note then because you you probably answered half this question but like you've had a unique experience um but like an after action review of the incident and your experience like what what do you attribute to your survival and then what recommendations would you give to others for these kind of like chaotic situations going forward to survive and i think you just touched on a little bit of it of like the community like supporting each other kind of thing but like can you build on that last statement yeah well you know what helped me to actually do well in that situation i feel like i did very well because i could say with confidence in myself that I didn't lower myself and I didn't panic in a negative way of freeze or, you know, I didn't, I, everything I did was survive and I didn't, I didn't become a savage to survive. I actually put others before me, you know, and I, and I think that to myself made it, made it a situation that I could talk about proudly right now and all the time that i actually i acted in a dignified way and the only reason why i was able to do that was because of the training that i had in the military you know my you know the the, the staff sergeants that i had I, I had you know great leaders you know i could name a whole bunch of people mm -hmm. and i'll be here forever yeah and just you know really just instilled that in me and then all my other comrades and so that plus you know my upbringing i was you know i was raised in the south bronx and my dad was really tough on me and you know I, everything was survival over there and then i left in puerto rico and you know over there wasn't easy neither it was you know puerto rico is there's goods and bads and you know you, you know you have to survive there as well mm. that i guess molded me military really did well for me in that situation so it's hard to tell other people that they could be the same without any training but what they can do is understand that things could happen prepare for it beforehand don't listen to authorities because authorities aren't always right and they're not always there to actually protect you because the authority on the ship saved his ass before 
helping everybody else when that was his job. So you don't just go with your gut. Go with your gut, try to do the right thing, and you will get further than if you don't. That's, that's the only thing I can say, man. It's a beautiful way to look at it, Mike. <laughs> it's like, okay. you know, and I, and I, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad we got that down, man. Um, but I think it ties so yeah, much. I, I, and honestly, I think, but I think that gives me that does like app like from here on out that does give me like a, a real positive kind of view on the situation and the setting and stuff. Is that like you know, um, um, you know, you like, just like you've overcome this experience i feel like a lot of other people are going to overcome this experience um but it's just about people understanding that they can't rely on others and just like the kids on the island and just like you and uh in that you just have to go with the gut feeling and then connect with the community you know connect like other people that's like the sad thing about what's going on right now is it's taking so many people away from each other and separating them so they can't talk but like it's, yeah, it's going on in my neighborhood i'm gonna go outside we're all gonna connect and we're gonna like come together and, and then you know actually try to accomplish something but yeah don't let don't it's and it's hard right because everybody has each each household has their way of doing things and the way of their way of thinking but bro right now too much is going on and i sometimes we 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 filter it out sometimes because we'll go crazy mm. but a lot of shit is happening yeah and it's going to get crazier. And I sound like a doomsday. I'm very much that type. I'm a doomsday type of person because I've been in so many situations that I'm always waiting for something to happen. So I am ready for it. And that's me. I'm always trying to be like, well, some, this could happen. Look, when the whole fucking pandemic shit was ruminating, it was a rumor. Oh, you know, Trump was saying that, um, that the China virus was coming. And then you had Nancy Pelosi in Chinatown out of San Francisco saying, come on, eat, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Remember when that was going on? We were, was it. Doing, we were covering it. We were covering it. Right? I was the one in the supermarkets here in Jersey because Jersey was where um, it was spreading fast. Yeah. Bro, I was fucking, I was the one with the mask on. I was paranoid. And everybody would look at me like I was insane. I'm like tinfoil hat dude. But I was ready. I was getting ready. I was getting it, you know, going shopping, getting the stuff. I was being safe. I don't know what the hell this was. The unknown. You have to prepare for the unknown. It was very unknown back then. Hell yeah, it was very unknown. And that was in, bro, that was in, look, in February, I remember my friend telling, you know, Johnny was telling us all this stuff about China. And I was like, bro, and I was sending you, showing you the videos. I was like, this is happening. This is happening. Yeah. Right? Let's prepare. And people just ignoring it. And I went, you know, I went above and beyond to make sure that I was ready and I would wear masks at the supermarket <laughs> all the time. And everybody would walk away from me. They were scared. Nobody was. Everybody yeah, they was, weren't. They weren't. They weren't on board yet. Right. Like now, though, it's board. like the opposite, though. Right. Exactly. Now it's the opposite. Right. So and, and um, so at that time, fucking mask and shit. And then I would. Everything was ready, good to go at home. And then they started, you know, really people started to freak out about a week and a half after. And we and us at home, we were like, we're good. We're <laughs> not like right now we said we're not leaving this apartment. We're mm-hmm. not leaving. Mm-hmm. We got everything we need. We're not going out into that world. Yeah. And and while everybody was making fucking lines for days, buying toilet paper, whatever the fuck they think they needed, I was at home, like chilling. 
Yeah. Just watching, talking to you, working, <laughs> working on the businesses and shit. Like just fucking working from and talking about all this craziness. Watching it, it unfold. Yeah, bro, lockdown straight. Yeah. Bro, I, I hardly left that apartment and look and and started to learn that it wasn't. It was like, damn, I don't, this doesn't. This seems something wrong here. I think they're exaggerating this. You know, I still didn't go out there because the the the, the immense tensity tenseness between people was. I didn't. I wasn't comfortable with that. Like you know, yeah. I, I remember I drove once out there and everything seemed so strange. And I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna go back home. This this eerie feeling. There's no need for me to be out here. I'll stay home with my family. Nice, we're safe. You know, we'll spend it together, and that's it. And then once uh, things got relaxed, went down to Florida for a moment to get away from the madness. And in Florida, things were totally different. <laughs> and when I got there, I was like, oh, shit. Like, people are – it doesn't even feel like there's quarantine here. Yeah. And when I got to Florida, I was like I – I was the weird one because I was still, like, with the mask and the gloves. And then, you know, I I was like, you know what? This is – I think this is too much. And I started to relax it. I, you know, I was fine. I can't, you know, I stayed there for a month, came back. I was fine, bro. I went, stayed yeah. in different places. Yeah. What we have to do is be safe. Yeah. Once you figure out what's going on, filter, filter, whatever you think is right, filter the news, filter what people say. You know, um, I'm not a fucking denier of what's going on. I think there's a fucking virus and I think the virus came from a lab. And most likely it came from China. Maybe not. But I think it was developed as a genetically modified uh, virus. And it it fucking, you know, from what I've been listening of all the virologists and stuff, they say that it, you know, from what they've studied, it came from a lab. And it, and it incubates itself better within indoors. So I tend to not want to be in stores and shit because I don't need to. And I'll stick to that and I stay safe and whatever. Prepare for what's next. That's, that's it. It's the game of the plan. Well, everyone can do it with us. It's going to be it for tonight, Mike. And yeah. we'll prepare. Y'all, you know what to do. Like, share, and uh, subscribe. We've been here for quite a while now. And uh, I mean... Again, the virus might be the difference of this year, but like the way that we were preparing for this year is still the same. And like the yeah, same we, outcome, we the same outcome, bro, is happening. That's what blows my mind is it's like I under, and like this is a this is a fact that you can't predict the future. And when you're trying to look at the markets and you're forecasting the economy and stuff like you never know the full truth, but you know a route that it's going to go. And um, I still think if people were preparing like we've been talking about, they'd be in my, a pretty good spot right now. So, yeah, prepare. You know, they like shouldn't really cool. be surprised. Shouldn't be surprised. Yeah, yeah exactly. Cool, man. All right, y'all. Right. Right, we'll see y'all soon. All right, talk to you guys soon.